Good morning, UUCC. My name is Jim Johnson, and my pronouns are he, him, and his. I'm a member of your Board of Trustees, and it is my honor and pleasure to welcome you to worship this morning at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia. As we begin, we honor the Piscataway people and their ancestors. It is upon their land that we reside. We are served by the Reverend Paige Getty Minister, as well as by our very talented and dedicated team of religious educators, musicians, and other professional staff. Thank you all. We also serve, and much appreciation goes out to many of you, our lay leaders and volunteers. Your incredible efforts help keep us connected. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whoever you love, and whatever your faith tradition, you are welcome here. We particularly welcome any guests who are joining us today, either online or in person, and encourage you to fill out the visitors form, either in the lobby or also online. And if you're here, to please join us afterwards in the social hour so we have a chance to meet and welcome you in person. Finally, for those attending services this morning at the sanctuary in the Owen Brown Interfaith Center, please take a moment now to silence your cell phones and other electronic devices. I have a number of announcements this morning, so I'll get right into it. Um, first off, our congregation's tradition of sending our Quest class to Boston to deepen their connections to Unitarian Universalism as they visit historic UU sites around Boston is restarting soon. We are uh, very pleased to be able to offer this trip in August. Uh, not August. Cancel that. This trip will be in April, and it'll be in a new post-pandemic way. So in addition to the Quest class, uh, we are encouraging high school youth to join us in this three-night excursion. And in addition, adults are welcome to join. So details will be, are still being worked out, and if you want to find out more, please contact Lisa Maroney with any questions you have or for more information and to sign up for the trip. Again, it'll be in April. Newcomers are invited to join Sarah Davidson and Hannah Nelson after services this morning at 11.30 in room 170 for a newcomer class and membership in UUCC. And please join members of the nominating committee, the board of trustees, and the endowment board after services today for an informational center session to learn more about what it takes and what it means to be a member of one of these organizations. Join us today at 11.30, I'll be there, uh, in room 116 or on Zoom this Tuesday at 6.30. And please join Reverend Page, Michael Adcock, and Colette Gellwigs uh, next Saturday, right here in the sanctuary, from 1 to 4, to learn how you can serve as a worship associate. And the auction team wants to remind all of us that there are still seats available for exciting events that are happening this month and also in March. These include a movie night, a jazz rock concert, game nights, and dinners. Visit the auction website at uucolumbia.net slash auction for more details and to sign up. And please Stop by the Values, Mission, and Ends Shepherding Committee table after services today to learn how you can contribute your perspective to help us define our community's values and mission and ends for the next several years. Sign up is also available through the tapestry. There's a link in that from this week's tapestry. In addition, just on the website on the UU homepage, you can find links to it. This work is vital to who we are and who we want to be as we move forward, and all of your views are needed for that. So please take a moment. There's going to be a number of sessions Training was done yesterday right here. Uh, we have a great bunch of facilitators who have volunteered to do this. We, we need you and we want you, and your voice needs to be part of this. So please sign up either again online or in the, sanct or in the um, Sanctuary B after services. And I have one final announcement, and I'm going to turn it over to uh, Kelly Daniker in a second. Um, on Saturday, February 25th at 2 p.m., UUCC will partner with Rise Against Hunger for our annual meal packaging. Volunteers like you are needed to help package meals that will grow out to needy communities and school feeding programs around the world. 
please contact Miriam uh, Kimbadi to sign up, uh, and please do it by the February 18th deadline. And now I have a special announcement from uh, Kelly Daniker, rock star extraordinaire. Let's give it up for you. Thank you. I dared him to say that. <laughs> so you, as you may have been hearing, there is a lot of buzz around UCC lately. Our congregation is engaged in a process to reevaluate our values, missions, and ends, to reimagine our future. And so when you say future to me, I think about our kids. And so it's only fitting that they should have a voice in this process. So we have several upcoming events to take care of that. Next Sunday, February 12th, uh, kids 5 to 12 are invited to join us at noon in room 150. We're going to play some games. We're going to make some wishes about our congregation. And then we're going to give our kids the opportunity to express those visions with Legos or drawing or painting. Sky's the limit. Then on February 10th at 6.30 p.m. and February 15th at 6.30, we're inviting our middle school students and their families to join us for some Zoom brainstorming. We would love to hear directly from you about the vision of uh, your vision for our future in this congregation and how we can better serve you. This is an opportunity for our kids to be heard. If you need any information, please come talk to me after service. Email me anytime, and I hope to see you at one of our upcoming events. Thank you. morning, UUCC. Good morning, all of you who are here with us remotely today. My name is Paige Getty. I use the pronouns she, her, and hers, and it is my honor and privilege to serve as minister of this congregation and to worship with all of you this morning. If you'd like to follow along in an order of service on your own mobile device or computer at home, please use the QR code that you're going to see on the screen or the URL that is in the chat if you're on Zoom. For those of you here in the sanctuary, if you need hearing assistance devices, those are available from the tech team in the back of the sanctuary. And a reminder that it's our custom to honor the personal joys and sorrows of members of the community. That will happen later in the service. And if you have something you'd like to have spoken on your behalf during that ritual, please send it to joysandsorrows at uucolumbia.net or write it in the Joys and Sorrows book that's at the back of the sanctuary. 
There is a lot going on in our community right now, and it is a great time to connect and reconnect. In addition to what you heard from Jim and Kelly already, I encourage you to visit Bernie Rock during social hour in room B if you'd like to connect with our lay caregiving ministry, either because you'd like to be a caregiver or because you or another congregant you know would, be, would benefit from a visit or care from that team. This week is Black Lives Matter in School Week of Action, and there are opportunities today and every day this week to be involved in those activities. And then on Tuesday evening, this Tuesday evening, February 7th at 7 o'clock at St. John Baptist Church, Courageous Conversations 2023 kicks off. This is the interfaith initiative that we've been part of since its inception several years ago to promote dialogue about race and religious bias. And this year's program is a reimagined effort from what you might have experienced in previous years. So I encourage all of you to register and be there on Tuesday evening for this year's Courageous Conversations, for which the theme is Courageous Love. And that fits perfectly into our monthly theme of love here at UUCC in worship and our small group ministries. Love, not the superficial saccharine kind of love that has overtaken the seasonal displays in the grocery stores with loads of pink and red and heart-shaped things, but the love that grounds us in community, in relationships, and in our faith. Later in the month, we're going to be celebrating how we express love through caring for one another, through our investment in the community, and by acting to bring about justice in the world. In today's service, we are considering romantic love, not the kind of romance that's a marketing gimmick, nor merely a genre of fiction, not something that's reserved for young heterosexual couples either, but romance as a quality of relationship that is expressed in varying ways among different people and in different ways throughout a single person's lifetime. So today, from poetry that celebrates long-term relationships, to an anthem inspired by the Song of Songs, to a sermon that's part personal reflection and part informative, I hope this will be a service that whatever brings you to this space today will open your mind and your heart that will inspire and nourish and comfort. Because whoever you are and however you've arrived today, you are welcome. A word of extra special thanks to Ed Gaddy, who's on the chancel with me today. He's serving as worship associate this morning. And some of his thoughts and commentary as we prepared this service were very helpful in my thinking. So thank you, Ed, for that. And also thanks to all who've contributed and who are working this morning to make this service happen and be accessible for everyone. So now let's gather ourselves fully into this worship experience. I invite you to center yourself with breath. And now hear these words, one translation from the Hebrew scripture on which this morning's anthem will be based. This is from the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, chapter eight, verses six and seven. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death, passion fierce as the grave, 
Its flashes are flashes of fire, a raging flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If one offered for love all the wealth of one's house, it would be utterly scorned. Let us worship. Now, as Ed steps forward to the lectern to offer our chalice lighting reading, I'm gonna invite Desmond to come forward and light the chalice flame. Thank you, Desmond. Thank you, Desmond. You got us off to a good start. My name is Ed Gaddy, and I am the worship associate this morning. I'll be reading We Go On Loving by David Richo. What makes us human beings so uniquely wonderful in this puzzling universe is that we never give up on love. Against all odds, with no guarantee of being loved in return, out of the hate and hurt so often handed us, in the face of sad suffering that history has let us see, we go on loving. What deep respect we deserve for this capacity of ours to make love out of anything and to let it last. Please rise in body or spirit and recite the Congressional Covenant. by our common humanity and inspired by our seven principles, we promise to be a safe and welcoming community, to nurture each other's hearts and spirits, to delight in the beauty of our diversity, to struggle together on our spiritual journey, and to challenge each other to live our lives. Thus we pledge our time and service to continuing celebration of spirit, of the world, and of humankind. Please greet your neighbors. Hi, how are you? Hello, everybody. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Yeah. Hi, we're, 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 we're hi, Jan. Hi, Laura. Oh, hi, hi. Louisa. Good morning. Hi, Sylvia. Hi, Ann. Hey, No, I was saying good morning to churchy people. Hello. Always a riot. 
please remain standing. Please remain standing and join in singing hymn number 131, Love Will Guide Us. morning again. Long time no see, huh? Um, I'm going to invite the kids to come on down. I have a helper with Helena this morning who's going to come on down. And as we'll just give them a sec. You're going to get Delilah. Thank you, Helena. Yeah, come on down. I need a little help this morning with you guys. You can come have a seat right here. Come over here, sweetheart. Yep, you can come on and sit down. Perfect. So each of us has a different love language. Different words, different actions, different sounds feel like love to us. Even the Valentine's Day heart candies that are around this time of year know this to be true. That is why they have hearts for every kind of person who loves. These conversation hearts, as they are called, say things like, be mine, but also back off, <laughs> proud of you, no way, true love. Now, all of these are expressions of love, be mine or proud of you, those might be expressions of an intimate, romantic love, while back off and no way might be expressions of boundary setting and self-love. There are all kinds of ways to love, and the ways in which we express love and receive love can change yearly, hourly, minute by minute. Love is an ever-evolving conversation with ourselves and with those around us. 
And so I wonder what our UUCC candy hearts might say. What words or phrases feel like love to you? How do you express love? What words make you feel loved? What is your love language? Does anybody have a word that makes them feel loved? What word makes you feel loved? Love, love is an excellent place to start. Yes, yeah, see, it's not that hard. Love makes her feel loved. Anyone else have a word makes you feel loved? How do you tell people you love them? What actions make you feel loved? Anything? How about if someone gave you some candy? Would candy make you feel loved? Um, a, rainbow. a rainbow makes you feel loved. Rainbow heart candy. <laughs> Want you to see I'm writing that? Absolutely. Get it right. Get it right. Absolutely. Anybody else have a word? And adults, feel free to chime in. What makes you feel loved? Hugs. Ah. Food is a good one. My right? I have a chef husband. Food. That's a good one. Special, I heard. I heard smile, yeah. I heard smile. Anyone else? Thank you. Oh, probably the most underrated of all love phrases, huh? Oh, what was that? Please process. These are excellent. Please process. Health. Um, I think you, I don't know who said that, but I think you're going to just made a lot of friends. <laughs> anyone else? I don't want to miss anyone. Say that again. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, we like that one. Anyone else? Anyone else? What was that? I'll try. Oh, and one more on the end. What was your word? Did you have a word? No. Do you want me to, I'll make you, a, I'll just make you a special heart. How about that? And that can be your special one. Well, so we just found a lot of love language in this room. Writer Pablo Coelho said, real love changes and grows with time and discovers new ways of expressing itself. And so this morning, we've lifted up parts of our love language to one another. We've allowed ourselves to be more fully seen. May our love continue to grow, and may we always be willing to have the conversations. Please join me in singing our children to class. You guys. reading is a poem written by Marjorie Sizer. It's titled, Thanksgiving for Two. 
The adults we call our children will not be arriving with their children in tow for Thanksgiving. We must make our feast ourselves, slice our half ham, indulge, fill our plates, potatoes and green beans carried to our table near the window. We are the feast, plenty of years, arguments. I'm thinking the whole bundle of it rolls out like a white tablecloth. We wanted to be good company for one another. Little did we know that first picnic how this would go. Your hair was thick, mine long and easy. We climbed a bluff to look over a storybook plain. We chose our spot as high as we could to see the river and the checkerboard fields. What we didn't see was this day. In our pajamas, if we want to, wrinkled hands, strong, wine in juice glasses, toasting whatever's next, the decades of side-by-side, side, our great good luck. Robin Hesse is going to come up now. Michael, you didn't have a warning of this, I apologize. <laughs> it's because I forgot. Robin has agreed to speak briefly about why she is invested in the health of this congregation. Thank you, Robin. So why stewardship? I'll tell you from my point of view, the sense of community that I feel here at UUCC gives me hope and reminds me that in a world filled with badness of many kinds, we are able to build resilient, meaningful relationships with each other and a network that enables us to actively fight for what's right. I believe we all have a collective duty to care for life, and my individuality is not my power. My community is my power. So why do I choose to give my riches, my time, my energy to UUCC? Couldn't I do this many other places? Well, maybe, but it is here at UUCC that I feel I've found my tribe, people who share my values and want to make a difference. I've never felt this anywhere else to the extent that I feel it here. It is here that I find so many wonderful, caring, honest people. It is here that I feel cared for, where I learn and where I grow. It is here where my energies are magnified and my hopes sustained. If I did not sustain UUCC with my financial resources, in addition to my time and energy, it would not thrive as well, would not be all it could be, and would not even be here, to, might not even be here to sustain me. We cannot take UUCC, Page, the choir, or any other part of this organization for granted. So I choose to help sustain what sustains me, and by extension, do more good in the world. And I believe we are doing good in the world. So thank you all for your friendship, for listening to me, and likewise for your stewardship of this special place. Thank you so much, Robin. And thank you all for your generosity in sustaining the work of this congregation in the world. The instructions will appear on the screen for how to give electronically, and there's also a basket for cash and checks at the back of the room. Thank you.
Our next reading is a poem by Ken Nye. Might be a little racy here and there. As years go by and passions cool, we make love in places that only young lovers dream about. We make love at the kitchen table, a scrabble board, the mattress, and hence to help the other, our passionate kisses. We make love in the car, thrilling to beautiful scenery or a rarely seen wild animal. We make love in front of the fireplace, watching a game show, sharing our latest crafts. We make love on the middle ground hockey field, proudly watching our granddaughter dribble the ball down the field with half the opposing team in hot pursuit. We make love in the bathroom, where I marvel at the beauty of my companion and friend of so many years, and tell her as she lathers all over that she is the prettiest girl I know. We make love in bed with our pajamas on, she curled up against me spoon on spoon, feeling each other's warmth and whispering before falling into sleep, I love you. We are so shamelessly promiscuous, we make love in church, for God's sake. <laughs> Sharing the hymnal hand on hand, touching during prayers to say to the other without words or looks, you are the rock of my happiness. Wonderfully heavy breathing is still in our repertoire, but the bond between us that challenges even death is the love made here and there time and time again, side by side.
Bom, thank you. I love love stories. I love reading young adult romance novels. I love grown-up romantic fiction with scenes that I'd probably be embarrassed to discuss in public. I've listened to podcasts fe featuring authors of romantic fiction talking about their craft and giving advice to real and imagined listeners about their relationship problems. When I have leisure time, I am much more likely to pick up a romance novel than I am to turn on a movie or a show. I love to escape into the comfortably angsty world of a story that is promised to conclude eventually with a happily ever after, even when the main characters make infuriatingly short-sighted choices in the meantime and really need to just talk to each other like grown-ups. I've read some terribly trashy romance fiction. And I've also read beautiful stories that thoughtfully explore what it's like to navigate real human emotion and trauma and family dynamics and societal expectations, gender, and a broad diversity of sexual expression, all with that eventual happily ever after. I really do love romance fiction. I also love hearing real life love stories. It's a delightful benefit of my job sometimes as I'm conducting weddings or memorial services where people are sharing stories of how they met, what was their falling in love story, how their love is evolving or did evolve over time, what are the particular quirky things unique to their relationships, and so on. So really, I love love stories. And it's really, really important for me, for us, to be careful about romanticizing romance. In its commercial form, romance typically centers the stories of heterosexual couples who are white and well-resourced and cisgender and younger than age 30. It idolizes a particular form of sexual activity. It idolizes the institution of marriage. It idolizes child rearing. You might say that in its commercial form, romance centers and idolizes my experience to date in my life. And we all well know that when a particular kind of experience is centered and empowered, other experiences and persons are marginalized and disempowered. And I want to live in a world and to raise children and serve communities in a world that does not make it disproportionately more difficult to experience satisfying, meaningful relationships that don't fit that societal norm. Where people who are queer, who are consensually non-monogamous, who are single, who are asexual, who are older, where everyone is able to live as fully and unashamedly as I can in my coupled, 
heteronormative life. And we know that these coupled heteronormative norms are reinforced among us. And even with the youngest of our children in subtle and sometimes not so subtle ways, certain children are encouraged to play with dolls and others with trucks. Adults ask preschool-aged children, do you have a girlfriend? Those norms are reinforced when, as happened in our own family not long ago, a friend visits the house, and because they're a different gender than our teen whom they were visiting, the neighbors just assume they must be dating. Those norms are evident in the discomfort among some of us when a community member speaks of their spouse and their boyfriend in the same sentence. They're evident in the assumption that coupled people will eventually raise children. And that's the stuff that happens openly in public. It's arguably even more insidious in contexts that are more private. When a person in a relationship is beginning to understand their own needs more fully and their partner is unwilling or unable to learn or to modify their behavior, when a child doesn't have adequate resources to understand their own needs and desires as they're coming of age, perhaps because they were denied comprehensive sexuality education, when an elder is isolated and lonely and longing for physical connection and doesn't know where to seek such companionship safely. So I chose the word maturity to describe today's romantic focus because that word is relevant and important in at least two ways in this context. I want to celebrate maturity as in age, and I want to cultivate greater maturity of mindset, regardless of age. In a world that idolizes youth, in which persons become less and less visible as they age, Today, we celebrate the kind of romance that you heard in the poems from Ed and me. We are so shamelessly promiscuous, we make love in church, for God's sake, sharing the hymnal hand on hand, touching during prayers to say to the other without words or looks, you are the rock of my happiness. What we didn't see then was this day in our pajamas if we want to, wrinkled hands, strong wine and juice glasses, toasting whatever's next. The decades of side by side, our great good luck. Today we celebrate the comfortable companionship of silent car rides. The reassurance of shared old jokes, of nonverbal communication across crowded rooms, of full confidence that the answer will be yes in a time of need. We celebrate the kindness and care as bodies change and pleasure takes different forms and yet we choose to keep learning together. As our own Gail and John Guy said and is published in this book, Bruce Marshall's book in later years, Finding Meaning and Spirit and Aging, it is never too late for romance. 
absolutely trust it. You may think that's a part of your former life, but I'm here to tell you not so. We both looked at ourselves and said, why are we wasting the rest of our lives lying around? Let's get together and make something happen. Thank you for that, John and Gail. For it is never too late for love in new or renewed form. But there's also a different kind of maturity that I want to highlight today, and that is the maturity of mindset and behavior, regardless of age. It's why Unitarian Universalists have for years partnered with the United Church of Christ in publishing and offering comprehensive, developmentally appropriate sexuality education for all ages because we want to nurture mature attitudes about relationships and sexuality. We want our people, children, teens, and adults of all ages to be mature enough to respect and understand one's own body, emotions, and needs, mature enough to respect and understand one's partner's bodies, emotions, and needs, mature enough to seek out accurate information from dependable sources, mature enough to question one's own assumptions about the spectrum of what is so-called normal, mature enough not to ridicule others' legitimate identities and choices, mature enough to recognize what is fantasy and what is not, perhaps especially when it comes to fiction, and entertainment, mature enough to communicate with honesty, integrity, and kindness in relationships, whether they're romantic or not, mature enough to acknowledge that not everyone prioritizes love and romance. Some aren't interested at all in such relationships. Mature enough to acknowledge there's much we don't know and there's always room to learn. And that is one of the ways that my own reading of romance fiction has informed and expanded my worldview. When I first started reading romance years ago, I was choosing with very little critical thought books in which the main characters were straight and white and in their teens or 20s. They fit the norms of white American beauty standards. But over the years, I've sought stories like that that would expand my understanding and sensitivity to realities that are less like my own experiences and that white American norm. So now I read stories that feature queer main characters or straight characters who are black or Latino or Asian or white straight characters who are fat or who have physical disabilities or represent greater neurodiversity. I read romance stories about characters who are asexual, about relationships that include more than one partner or other forms of polyamory. I now understand better what it means to be demisexual, for example, to feel no sexual attraction unless one has developed a deep emotional bond with a person. I understand better what it means to be sexually promiscuous, but not romantic. I understand better what it means to be romantic, but asexual. 
desiring relationship, connection, and love, but not desiring particular kinds of physical sexual intimacy. I'm motivated to read these stories primarily as a leisure activity. It's fun for me. And yet, this kind of fiction has significantly enhanced my compassion and understanding as a pastor, as a friend, as a parent. And it's not only through fiction. Increasingly, we're hearing voices of faith leaders who encourage us to expand our understanding of what qualifies as holy union, of who deserves love, of what harm is really inflicted by our assumptions about those who are genderqueer, transgender, and other-sized ostracized so often in religious communities. Voices like Marche Greer, who wrote Holy, a Polyamorous Blessing, which says this, Our love is holy because its abundance knows no bounds and its creativity knows no ends. Because they said we couldn't, and we've always known we can. Because power over will never teach us more than power through together. Because nuclear is not enough in our queer cosmos. Because you said go learn what you need, and I still believe you meant it. Because chosen family means choosing who we are together every day. Our love is holy because we are whole alone, but want to be holy together. We are holy. There are so many ways to love, romantically and otherwise and so much beyond my own limited experience that I don't know or understand about the possibilities for mature, respectful, consensual relationships. So I'm committed to learning, to cultivating that maturity, to interrogating my own assumptions about what's right and wrong. I'm committed to living in love, to bearing witness to your life and your love, whatever form that takes. As Carter Hayward, who's a feminist theologian and Episcopal priest, wrote, love is a choice. We're not automatic lovers of self, others, world, or God, she says. Love does not just happen. We are not love machines, puppets on the strings of a deity called love. Love is a choice. Not simply or necessarily a rational choice, but rather a willingness to be present to others without pretense or guile. Love is a conversion to humanity, a willingness to participate with others in the healing of a broken world and broken lives. Love is the choice to experience life as a member of the human family, a partner in the dance of life, rather than as an alien in the world or as a deity above the world, aloof and apart from human flesh. Love is a choice. I'm hopeful that we as a community will be a place where we continue to celebrate love as a choice 
in all its forms. Amen. Rise now. Will you please rise now in body or in spirit? We're going to sing hymn number six, Just As Long As I Have Breath. practice of sharing joys and sorrows is a custom in our congregation where we can publicly and openly share significant events that have deeply touched us. As I read the joys and sorrows, listen with love. We remain mindful of the sacredness of this ritual when we cast a stone in the bowl of communal water. <clears throat> the ripples it forms symbolize how our lives touch one another. During the music meditation that follows, those of you who are in the sanctuary are welcome to come up and silently drop a stone. I've put one more stone in the water to honor those things that you're holding and not speaking aloud. They are tender, they are important, they are powerful, and we hold them with you. Will you join me for a few moments of prayer and reflection? Holy One Spirit of life, of love, May we know that love within us and around us. 
as we grieve losses by death of longtime friends and companions, as we celebrate birthdays and new life growing in us and among us, as we hold tenderly those for whom we feel afraid, for whom we are worried, those who need healing. May we be a force of love and hope and courage in this world. And may we receive the love and hope and courage that is offered. Let's share just a moment of stillness and quiet that we might know our own prayers. Amen. Blessed be.
The benediction is by Robert Terry Weston. Beautiful are the youth whose rich emotions flash and burn, whose little whose lithe bodies filled with energy and grace sway in their happy dance of life. And beautiful likewise are the mature who have learned compassion and patience, charity and wisdom, though they be far rarer than beautiful youth. But most beautiful and most rare is the gracious old age, which has drawn from life the skill to take its varied strands. The harsh advance of age, the pang of grief, the passing of dear friends, the loss of strength, and with fresh insight, weave them into a rich and gracious pattern all its own. This is the greatest skill of all, to take the bitter with the sweet and make it beautiful, to take the whole of life in all its moods, its strengths and weaknesses, and of the whole make one great and celestial harmony. Please rise for the benediction response, faith, hope, and love. Streets looking good, and baby.